Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for some. For, thank you for. Oh no, Ben! It happened again. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> Hit the reboot button. Okay, uh, if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Uh, ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's written for lately. Go for it, Ben. Tell us where you where you write. You can find my work at Driving Line, at Haggerty Classic Car, and at Motor Trend. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, as well as Nouveau Magazine. This week, Ben, we're going to be talking about, um, I'm going to talk to you about some crossovers, and I think you'll talk to me about some SUVs, right? Or maybe, AS. Maybe one SUV. <laughs> yeah, but we'll it, it has, see how it has the stature of two. We'll see how excited <laughs> I get. There's definitely two of something in there. Yeah, that's helpful. So the car I want to talk to you about is, uh, it kind of carries on the trend that we had last week when we were talking about these really high horsepower um, crossovers or family vehicles. Uh, I've dro- I drove the Porsche Macan Turbo, which is the most powerful version of the Macan. Um, so powerful, in fact, that I forgot exactly how much horsepower it makes. I mean, it makes 434 horsepower and 405 pound-feet of torque. Uh, which comes from a 2.9-liter twin-turbocharged V6. And, what's, and Mac- what's interesting about the Macan Turbo is that, like every other Macan, it is turbocharged. <laughs> yes, it is. Exactly. Uh, that is not the most interesting part about it, but that is an interesting thing to note. Um, I think the most interesting thing is the name. You see, the name uh, Macan is derived from an Indonesian word for tiger. I just – sorry, sorry. I just passed out and fell over backwards. What did I miss? Yeah. I, my eyes just glazed over, and there was a humming noise in my ears, and then I woke up, and you were saying tiger. <laughs> yes, that's that's essentially what the what the name for the new uh, Porsche or the latest Porsche SUV is. Well, actually, it's not even the the latest. I guess the coupe, the Cayenne coupe is. So I don't know what I'm talking about today. I, I, I kind of have like an allergic reaction to extreme branding. <laughs> And you think the the description of the name Macan derived from the Indonesian word? Oh, uh, there for I go again. <laughs> Where where'd you go, Ben? Come back. Wait, okay, I'm back. Are we done? Is there a car actually called Tiger? That's a good question. There was a, uh, the Sunbeam Tiger in the 60s. Oh, yes. Which was pretty cool, which was a small V8 and a small, a, a small roadster, British roadster. Okay. Uh, But I, aside from that, I want to say there's like a Indian subcontinent market Tiger, because that seems like a vehicle I've seen. But I, I know don't... there's Tiger beer. Does that count? I'm sorry? The beer? The what? Beer. Jeez, man. Beer? Tiger beer. Yeah, Tiger is a very common term, but I thought we were talking about cars. I thought we were talking about names again. Is sorry. this what happens when I black out? I come back and it's the unnamed beer podcast? <laughs> it, is, it is. Sorry. So, and we, we all know that Porsche just couldn't call it um, the Porsche Tiger. It needed to be called Macan. But I suppose eventually it's probably going to get a name like um, like the Ky- like the Cayman and the Boxster. It's just going to turn into a bunch of numbers, right? Like, why not? I don't know. I mean, the we, that hasn't happened with the Cayenne or the Panamera or the Taycan, I guess. But the oh. 911 and this, and so I guess all the sports cars just lost their name. You think when they run out of obtuse names, they're going to go to numbers? Is that what is that what you're saying? I think they got a long way to go. <laughs> I don't know. I thought I thought Cayman and Boxer were perfectly fine names. No, those were good names. Yeah, but I mean, Tycon is a little precious. I yeah. think Panamera is a good name because it means something. 
And I okay. guess Cayenne is, means something as well, although how it relates to an SUV is something I don't understand. But I wouldn't say it's a bad name. But Macan, it's, it's, it, it feels made up. It is made Well, it's not. It's derived from the Indonesian oh, word. For- oh, oh. Oh, this is the, the only fl- note. Uh, this is the only fact that I've highlighted on my sheet. Why do I keep opening or- my eyes to a world of bruising? <laughs> okay, what do you want to know about this thing? First of all, can we talk about the size and the and the and the overall feel of the Macan? It does not really feel like a like a crossover or an SUV. It feels quite small. It almost feels like a hot hatch in so many ways. In the way that it it doesn't have a lot of body roll. It's a very um, agile feeling crossover. Um, and it really doesn't have a lot of body roll, despite the fact that it um, that it is an SUV. Um, I do think that it's pretty fast. It does zero to sixty in four point three seconds or four point one, depending on um, if you've got a Sport Chrono package or not. Um, and it's not very practical. The rear seats are uh, are very tight. The trunk area is very small, and um, like that to me just describes this car as maybe for empty nesters who don't really want a sports car, like a like a midlife crisis mobile. So it's like a form and, of birth control, basically. <laughs> like we can't have kids because we'd have to get a new car. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I think I, I, I'm surprised at how much it weighed. It's 4,400 pounds, which I think is pretty heavy considering the size of it. That weighs just almost as much as my own Jeep. Which is from the '80s and is a full-size vehicle. That's 4,500 yeah. pounds. So I, I was surprised by that, but this car does—it does go pretty fast. It feels pretty agile. But there are a bunch of small things um, that I want to discuss with you about the about the Macan. Mainly the fact that it's kind of like caught between two generations of Porsche um, design, I guess, interior design and features. So when you jump into this car, you'll see that it has all of those old. Um, buttons, that huge bank of buttons that um, straddles the the gear selector. Okay, Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, so that's largely been replaced by that kind of touchpad thing that they've installed. It's not really a pad, but it's more like a smooth surface, like a touch surface. With like light up buttons on it. Yeah, and then weird that. steering wheel circles and stuff. Yeah, and I, I've complained about that in the past. And this does have um, the three gauge cluster with one only one of those gauges is a digital display so it's a little bit more old school there uh and a little bit more focused in that regard as well and it means that you don't hide any of that like really important information behind the steering uh wheel in your view in your view um of the gauge cluster so you've got these like this it's it's like a a lot of buttons and they all look exactly the same which i think is very I don't know how I feel about that, right? Like, if you have a bunch of buttons, do you want them to be different sizes or different shapes or different colors on them? Well, so I mean, you know? from, from a usability <laughs> standpoint, you probably do. But if you're a designer, you would hate that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if designers had their way, every car, every dashboard of every car would just be like an expanse of black onyx. <laughs> like, oh, it, would, no. it would absorb all light. It would be perfectly smooth. And you wouldn't have to touch it. <laughs> that's that's how I think designers want the interior of their cars to look like. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm trying to decide now after having complained about the old about the new um, cluster of buttons, those like touch buttons that I mentioned earlier that um, that they provide no tactile response and you can miss them, and also in the wrong light um, you can see the features that you don't have, which is really frustrating. Um, or if I like these old school buttons, it's a very weird, you know, dynamic to have. Cause usually I like the tactile feel of a, of an actual button that I can touch and, and navigate to without having to take my eyes off the road for a long time. But this just ends up looking a little old school now. 
Yeah, you have any thoughts on that, Ben? No, I mean the thing about the thing about old school buttons is, I mean, if they're good buttons, then it's fine. But it, there can be older designs that just weren't great. I, I don't have a huge problem with the look and feel of the older buttons in a Porsche, but the, the what you pointed out about how everything looks the same. And how there's just so many of them. Those are the yeah. two things that I think works against it. Because you have to take attention away from the Rogue to look down at the center console to do things. And it's not a huge problem, but it is a problem. Right. Um, I will say that the car feels like pretty luxurious, pretty high-end. I think if you're looking for a, you know that Porsche quality, you're going to get it here. But as usual, I have that same complaint that it feels a little sterile. Um, the, the seats don't feature you know any sort of plush um, design. They don't have like quilted... Uh, stitching or you know extremely soft um, up, um, uh, seating area. There's um, what's the word I'm looking for? The the lumbar support is pretty is pretty firm, and there are bolsters that are quite grippy. Um, and I, I just don't know if that's like the luxury experience. But then if you're looking for a sporty experience, there's certain things about the the Macan that I'm also um, a little disappointed with as well. Despite the fact that I mentioned that it does 0 to 16 in about four seconds, it never feels like it wants to make you go anywhere in a hurry. It always feels a little like um, it feels robust. It feels really heavy. It feels like it's measuring just how much uh, performance it wants to give you until you put it in the manual mode and into the sport plus uh, drive mode, in which case then the car finally feels um, alive. It gets a little loud. It gets um, it really doesn't want to upshift too often, um, and it it always feels like it's in the right um, area of the gate uh, of the rev range for you to get some power. So well, isn't isn't that good though? Like, wouldn't you want the sport mode to do that? Right. I think that is appropriate but at the same time it means you always have to you know every time you get in and out of the car you have to put the car into like this car is quite expensive the one i drove as optioned out comes out to a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars and when you have a one hundred thousand dollar car you kind of want it to feel special all the time i think not just um every time you put into a yeah, specific drive that's mode. that's something we've talked about a lot but we're talking in terms of sports cars but i think here we're talking about an suv and an suv has a dual role all the time. Whether right. you whether you're buying it because it's the fastest SUV you can buy or because you need something that's practical, even the fastest SUV you can buy is still compromised by the utility mission, right? So well, I think that that's why they've baked in this normalized version of the vehicle that you drive every day. And then if you want to have fun with your fast SUV, you can do that too. Like I see it as a second dimension of SUV ownership, whereas with a sports car, it should really be the primary dimension. Right. I agree with you in that in that regard. But you've got to remember that the Macan is just so much this, – this turbo in particular is just so much more than the regular uh, Macan. So what you end up having is a car that performs – it feels a lot like the, the, the Macan S or the re- regular Macan and then r- occasionally feels as, as fancy or as fast as, a, as something that you would pay so much more for. So – and another thing I also want to add that I didn't just drive the Macan Turbo. I also brought out the Mercedes GLC AMG 63 S, which features a twin turbo V8. Um, and the big difference here is that it always feels special because you can always hear that baked-in – um, AMG wildness, that engine that just always sounds crazy. And it, it's kind and, of always and, a hooligan. Right. And every, no matter what drive mode you're in, 
you always feel that power and you always hear that power. And I think that's very important to that experience. There's something about that, that contrast that the, that the, uh, McCon feels very professional. It feels very uh, buttoned down. It feels refined and it feels serious. But the AMG 63, um, the GLC AMG just feels wild. It feels hilarious. Every time I drove that car, there was never, I, I did the same loop between the two cars uh, back to back. And there was never a moment in the, um, in the Mercedes that I said, I would rather be in the, the Porsche. And that's yeah, it's, mainly because when you're driving, I think an SUV, you have a certain expectation. You know that it's not going to be that agile, um, super um, tight experience. And maybe that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for something that's a little bit more fun um, when you're paying for the extra money and you do get that in the AMG. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to explain that because sometimes the funnest experience is not always the fastest one. You know what I mean? No, I understand what you're saying. it's not the most like like the, precise the, one either. The AMG has far more character is, I think, Personality, what you absolutely. And that motor is, is nonstop. It's so good. And then to discuss what we were saying earlier with the, with the interior, um, a Mercedes has a much more modern interior. Uh, it is quite busy as well with a lot of you know, toggles and switches and things like that. But the, the buttons feel um, special and unique. There are bigger gauge clusters and screens. It just feels like a more modern experience. So I, and I think you end up enjoying that as well when you're not driving the car um, like, uh, like aggressively, I guess is the best way to say it. So you would definitely, of those two, I mean, what's the price difference between them? They're, they start at around the same, the same um, price, so around $80,000 uh, US. But mine, with all the options, came to about um, 100 or so in the Macan, and I didn't. I don't have the full build sheet on the on the GLC 63, but there are more packages for that and fewer like individual options, which is what uh, ends up costing so much more in the Porsche. Yeah. So I, I'm ending. I'm thinking that it's a it's a bit um, cheaper in some in some cases as well. And the other car to mention in this in this category is probably the um, the the Alfa Romeo Stelvio, uh, the Quadrifoglio model, which I and think is is less expensive, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that one also it does still start at eighty thousand uh, dollars, a tiny bit cheaper than the than the Macan. I I generalize it's actually eighty five thousand um, dollars in the Macan, but the Stelvio is eighty thousand five hundred. And then there's a BMW. I think the either the X three M or the X four M um, will fit in there too. And I don't know. Um, I've driven an X4M and I didn't, I didn't entirely love the experience. I keep falling to this AMG because of that noise. And every time you turn it on, even the slightest bit of acceleration is met with that, that character. Um, and then when you do want it to firm up and be agile, it can do that. It never felt as agile as the Macan Turbo, but it also feels um, a little bit more practical. It looks like it has more space. It has a few more features. So you end up having a trade-off. So the, of those two vehicles, that's the one you would definitely pick. Yeah, the Mercedes. And I, f- I feel crazy saying that because I think I also gushed about the um, the AMG GT recently, about it having more personality than um, Porsche's 911. So I, I just don't want to make it sound like I'm this Mercedes fanboy, but it just feels like when you're looking for a certain – when you're spending a lot of money and you're looking for a something that makes you feel a certain way, that really injects you with some sort of emotion, the AMGs do that. But the Porsche Macans are very competent, or the Porsche models are very competent and very buttoned down, very refined vehicles that when you want them to be exciting can do that, but just aren't offering that to you right off the bat or, and every time you step into them. 
So do you think? Yeah. Do you think that on the horizon, though, Porsche is going to have to deal with this kind of situation because you know you said the Macan is a little bit older, and this Mm -hmm. is the image that it has. And if Mercedes is doing something that much cooler, are we going to see a response from Porsche, or do you think they're just going to keep doing their thing? Well, I think Porsche has a brand image to maintain, and that image, and, and it's so interesting because when you look at their SUVs which and, and their family vehicle lineup, which is expanding, you know, now we've got the Taycan, but we've also got the Panamera, the Cayenne, the Cayenne Coupe, and the Macan. So I think, I mean, in terms of nameplates, you've got more, you have more family vehicles than you have sports cars at, at Porsche, right? Yes. And I think that's going to be the, it might be crazy to say, but I think that'll be the prevailing um, personality that Porsche will want to convey uh, going forward. They know that they have to sell more of these um, luxury vehicles in order for their their sports cars to survive. Um, and I think that means that we're going to be seeing less personality, more mainstream-focused vehicles um, out of the Porsche lineup. Okay, is there anything else that you want to say about these two vehicles? You've driven the Selvia, right? Yes, and the GLC. And the BMW X3 or X4M? The X4M, yes, but it was a little while ago. I've also driven an X3M a, a, a while ago, but I don't have a lot of experience with the Quadrifoglio. Everyone tells me that that car also sounds unbelievable. It, it looks, sounds okay. It's it, The Quadrifoglio is, in a lot of ways, a compromise because of... Just the weirdness of the interior and the infotainment system. Right. Um, and the extreme unreliability of that vehicle. I mean, I know someone who got rid of theirs because it was con- constantly in the shop. And not only was it constantly in the shop, it was waiting for parts that took forever to arrive. So it's not a great ownership experience. Um, then I want to bring up the, the Stelvio. You mentioned the interior, and I have seen the interior. And from what I've been told, I've driven a, a normal Stelvio, not the Quadrifoglio. But the normal interior of the Stelvio um, is not that impressive, and a lot of people tell me that the it's the same in the fully loaded model, that that turbocharged six cylinder model, and that's I think that's a missed opportunity for them. For sure, but I mean, Alfa Romeo is all about missed opportunities in North America. <laughs> I also want to actually add a, a little bit about the steering in the Porsche Macan. It felt backwards. It felt wrong um, in the fact that at low speeds the steering is extremely heavy. Um, and it makes the car feel very precise in that regard. But then at high speeds, it felt really light. Um, and that is a little bit um, – it's, it's not very reassuring when you're trying to take some corners at higher speeds. So I'm trying to understand if that's a conscious decision on their part that they made it this way and, uh, and whether or not you've had other vehicles that felt that awkward or uncomfortable – off the top of my head, I mean, I feel that just a lot of current SUVs seem to feel that sporty steering means heavier steering. And when you're not in that sport mode, just everything feels kind of disconnected anyway. Mm-hmm. So I don't expect a lot out of an SUV when it comes to steering because you're already okay. so with like, I don't want to use the word withdrawn, but you're you're isolated from the driving experience itself. Well, I will admit, like, with the exception of that steering feel, the car just does it does feel right. It, it's not overly stiff, but it's not super soft. It's got uh, a, a reasonable a reasonable amount of steering effort, but again, the there there are times when it just feels off. I hate the way the transmission or the motor does not want to give you all of your power until you put your foot down all the way or put it in the manual mode or the sport plus mode. And then, furthermore, when you do have it in the manual mode, um, and you put your foot down. There's like a little, there's like an extra bit 
of the pedal travel. Um, usually it's called like a kickdown mode or something like that. If you press that in the Macan while it's in the manual mode, it will downshift the car for you. So it's not really in manual at all. And then it'll upshift at redline. So Sammy, Sammy, PDK knows best. Okay. <laughs> I don't even. Is, is it actually PDK in that car? Or is it just the eight-speed? I believe it is PDK. Okay. So don't question it. <laughs> okay. Fine. Um, all right. Fine. That's all I got to say. So I, I, I am looking forward to modernizing a bit of the experience in the Macan and maybe adding a little bit more personality when it comes to these turbo models. Um. Because I think the like the opportunity is there. The chassis is solid. The engine is good. Um, it sounds pretty cool. It sounds pretty unique. Just not as loud and as impress as impressionistic as a a V8. You know, you you won't turn your head all the time at, when you pass when this thing passes you by. But you will when that turbocharged AMG drives by. Okay. What are you What are you driving? You driving a V8, aren't you? I was. It yeah. was a uh, twenty twenty Lexus GX four sixty, Sammy. Oh man. <laughs> oh man, well, I thought you're gonna. I thought you were driving something more summer oriented, maybe an LC with the V8. And now you've dropped the bomb on me. You put this GX in my lap. I don't know what to say about the GX. It is a car that has always been there for a long time, and I can't remember the dramatic changes to it. So, can you please run down what we're looking at? It is a very puzzling vehicle. I, I have to say, honestly, I don't know who this vehicle is targeted at. To me. This vehicle, this the, the GX is a truck that is so soft and so insulated and so withdrawn from the world. It's almost like it was designed for people who are embarrassed by the fact that they're driving, maybe, and that they don't want to actually be driving, but they have to drive. So they, they pick up this, this GX460. This is a vehicle that is sold in the rest of the world as the Land Cruiser Prado. It shares okay. parts of its frame with the, you know, the uh, the Forerunner, um, but it, it is a unique. It's its own its own platform, but it is it is a perplexing automobile, Sammy. I, I want to start by saying that since two thousand nine, there have been like no changes to this vehicle. It's like its eleventh year on the market, exactly like the Forerunner, with only cosmetic updates. And in 2020, it got a few more cosmetic updates. It has the new grill, the, the big giant grill. It's got some adaptive safety gear they added to it, which kind of works okay, but not really, which we'll talk about later. And uh, it also came with, an, there's a new off-road package. And that last part is important, Sammy, because, okay. th- like I said, this is based on the, on a Land Cruiser, right? Right. So you'd figure that, you know, it's it's a body on frame SUV. It's got to be pretty good off-road and it is. It's it's it's, it's got full-time four-wheel drive. You can't turn it off. It has a uh, mechanical locking differential in the center. Okay. Nice. It's, it's got uh, adjustable ride height so you can get more ground clearance if you want. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, you know, generally a pretty tough truck. Okay, but, that sounds pretty promising. Yeah, but but for what customer? Because everything I just told you is attenuated by the fact that the suspension has three settings. It's like sport, normal, and soft. All of them are incredibly floaty. Like, it is by far the softest vehicle I've driven in the last five years. It is I just... It, it's, like, it's like a marshmallow water slide into a pillow factory. It is... So I keep hearing you saying the first thing you said was it's a very insulated um, experience. And a lot of that reminds me of a Mercedes. Like it, it, sorry. Does that mean kind of like the Mercedes G-Class with those cars? No. Car that, you know, you, you feel like you close the door. It is and you, like nothing, nothing. 
nothing, nothing like a G class. So nothing like happened? a G class. It, it it is it's just it's like imagine you know like softcore movies from the seventies and eighties where they smeared Vaseline on the lens and everyone was wearing like white frilly dresses and and there was like and, and a veil. It's kind of like you're driving in that world all the time. It's what just, does you're, that you're, mean? <laughs> it means that you move very slowly and deliberately, and uh-huh. you turn the wheel and maybe it turns and you you hit the gas and no, not yet, and then yes, here's some acceleration. And the adaptive cruise control does exactly the same thing. Maybe it's going to get you back up to speed when you change lanes and you slow down behind some other car. Maybe it won't. It's not sure. Just the the transmission and the engine, all the tuning is so incredibly hesitant and reserved. It's like the British butler of SUVs. It's like, are you really sure that you want to actually accelerate? Is this perhaps too emotional of a response to your decision to merge? It's just... It's bizarre. It's a very bizarre vehicle. I'm not saying it's terrible because I think it looks pretty good. What? And it's, it's, Sorry, yeah, I think me. it looks pretty what? good. Yeah, I think it has a decent look. And I think it's comfortable. Uh, as long as you're in the first okay. two rows. There's a third row at the back that no one should ever sit in. And it's unfortunate that Toyota's decided – or Toyota Lexus, sorry – has decided to put a third row there because – uh, it takes up a lot of the load floor. It jacks it up like a good two or three inches and you already have to lean over like this huge bumper thing when you're trying to load stuff in the back. So it's, it's like two strikes. And then the third strike for cargo is this doesn't have a lift gate, Sammy. It has a hatch that opens from a hinge on the passenger side. So this gigantic door huge like bank vault door opens up and blocks the whole sidewalk so you have to load from the street side which is dangerous but i understand it's a japanese market vehicle and in japan that's the sidewalk side and why change things for north america it's not like it's a completely different market and and all of that comes with this giant this giant piston that i want to say is like four feet long that controls the movement of that door so anyway those are kind of my initial impressions of this vehicle center Okay, hold up. We got to talk about the the powertrain here. This is a, a, a four point six liter V eight, right? Yeah, it's like just over three hundred horsepower. Like, like it has like Camry horsepower. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it has Camry horsepower with nineteen miles per gallon on the highway. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah, because it's a very heavy truck, and uh, it has a six speed automatic, but it's it's just. It's just not enough, Sammy. It, it's it's like if it, it, it the power is fine, I guess. Mm-hmm. But again, fine for who? Because who is the customer here? Oh, and the yeah. interior the interior is very two thousand nine. So there's tons of plastic switches on the center console. Okay. Uh, nothing feels that luxurious. There's like you get some wood, you get some leather, and like I said, it's comfortable. But you don't go inside the interior. It starts at around fifty-three thousand, and I think it sto- it stops at mm, I want to say just under seventy. That's the model I was driving. Mm-hmm. It is in no way comparable to any other vehicles at its price point. Uh, the cabin, in, ter- in terms of the cabin, um, the execution of the design, the materials that are used, it-, it really feels like the kind of interior that should be in the Forerunner, <laughs> like the top tier Forerunner, okay. but isn't. But so, yeah, yeah. So it's it's just super weird. This is a super weird vehicle. I'm glad I drove it because the last time I drove a GX 460, I want to say it was five years ago, and I had the transfer case explode <laughs> while I was driving what? it out of out of a snowbank on the side of the road that I'd parked in, just like in the city, like a small snowbank, like you do in the winter when snow hasn't been totally cleared. So this is I actually got a lot of time behind the wheel. I took it on a few road trips. 
Uh, drove it around the city a lot, and it's just it's just kind of a wow experience for me. I keep thinking I I, I don't understand so many parts of this um, of this car. The as far as I understand, if it's a, if it's a GX and the GX is below the Lexus LX, which is based on a Land Cruiser, why does the GX have this side hinge door and the Land Cruiser normal and the LX does not? Why does those those have normal lift gates, right? Because Toyota just here's here's why, and I'll tell you why. Lexus had two holes to fill in its showroom, SUV sized holes. What was the yeah. cheapest way for them to do that? Repurpose Land Cruisers. So we okay. get the LX, which has fold down seats in the rear, right? Like from the side. Doesn't it have Does those? It still have those jump seats? I think it still has the jump seats. <laughs> And then you have the weird seats in the GX and the weird tailgate. It's because they just don't they, they don't want to spend a lot of money to make a fully North American spec version of either of these trucks. All they care about is selling RXs. They make a right. lot of money selling RXs, but every once in a while, someone comes into the dealership and they're like, RX isn't enough. I want something really expensive. And Lexus says, well, come right over here. And then they have these two options. So that's why these vehicles exist. But these whether those awful cus- options. Well, I'm not saying they're awful, but I'm just saying whether those customers for those options exist is something else entirely. Right. I, I have no idea why somebody would wander into the Lexus. Somebody seeking off-road, uh, a, a luxury vehicle with off-road credit would wander into a Lexus showroom and be impressed by this vehicle when there are so many other vehicles that they can they can go to, I think. That's the um, thing. There's so many other options. There's I no think... reason to buy a GX. That's what it boils down to. If you want to go off-road, buy a 4Runner, save a lot of money. It gets scratched up. You're not going to worry about it. The interior you can hose out with, with a garden hose. With the GX, yeah, you can take it off-road and it's going to do a good job, but you're probably going to mess it up because it's got lower overhangs. And it's got kind of these integrated sidesteps, stuff that you can't get rid of. Uh, and it, it just doesn't make sense to buy it as a dedicated off-road vehicle. Like, you know, a Range Rover Sport kind of makes sense to go off-roading in because yeah. it's part of the spirit of the brand. But that's not the spirit of the Lexus brand. It's kind of just like a bonus. Mm. And I don't think it's a bonus people take advantage of. And, I mean, yeah, there's there's the there's the Range Rover. There's a Land Rover, uh, Land Rover as well with the Discovery, for example, which is nowhere near as expensive as this. But... Um, there's, I would say that the off-road capability of a, of a Infiniti QX80 is probably, um, a little bit more, there's a little bit more going on there. I don't and know about that, but it's a lot bigger vehicle too. Is it? You know? Oh, so my, I'm mistaking the, the, the size then of the GX and the Yeah, QX the GX is, okay. the GX is like the size of a 4Runner. They have the same okay. wheelbase and the same length. Okay. And remember when they used to stuff a third row of seats in the 4Runner and they stopped doing that because it was terrible? <laughs> they kept doing it. They kept car, doing right? it in the GX, yeah. So what are your recommendations for Lexus if they were to take this class seriously? Is there anything that they can do to fix it? Like, what did you like and should continue going forward? The engine seems okay. The engine, well, is, the engine is not competitive. Not with that much. Okay. Yeah. This, this is really – I don't really have any recommendations for Lexus except I don't think you can responsibly or realistically sell a full-time four-wheel drive body-on-frame SUV in the luxury segment right now. I just, it doesn't make sense to me. There are too many other, as you mentioned, great options. Okay. And this is a carryover option that's just filling space in the showroom. So if you wanted to get serious, you could, but then you're going to take sales away from the RX because they're ostensibly the same vehicle, especially now that there's the extended version of the RX that has the third row. Oh my so, God, but that's so awful too. Yeah, that but third what you, row is so bad in the, in the RX. There should be you, nobody buying it for that. So what are you really doing, Lexus? It yeah, what are make, you really doing? This vehicle does not need to exist. They don't need to be occupying this space. 
I also do think it's funny that we would both agree that Le- the Lexus RX is a very okay vehicle for people to buy. It, if you're not an enthusiast, if you're looking for a luxury car, the RX will probably suit your your, um, your needs, no matter like you know how big you are or what like sort. If you're looking for a, a hybrid vehicle or a, or not or you know something that that it just shows. It's a up versatile it's vehicle. Up. It just yeah, it shows up. But then there's so few other vehicles in. I think you you were impressed with the UX a while back. I, I mean, I don't really remember, but didn't we decide that the UX was more of a hot hatch than anything else? That's true. So, and I would say that the, the RX is like probably their best product in their lineup, and that's probably why people end up going to, a, to Lexus. But well, if RX, they want something, RX and ES, right? Yeah, and if they want something, yeah, the new EX is so good. Thank you for reminding me. And the, I don't know if, the, if people are seeing the LC, but that's a really cool car, too. The LC is excellent, but I mean, I think that's kind of like Halo car outside the context of this conversation. Right. So when people go to a, uh, they go from their, their RX and they're like, I want something a little bit more robust. Do you think they end up looking at the GX and going like, well, I have a good relationship with my Lexus dealer and my, they treated me well. And why not just go into this? And I really don't think different. so. I, I don't think that, I think that the, I think the RX is a very rational customer and I don't see yeah. a rational customer buying the GX. That's so funny. Perfect. I think that's perfect. That's what we need to, we need to tell people that if you are buying the GX, that is not a rational. That is not a rational. No, decision. not at all. I mean, either go off road for for a lot cheaper or get a mm-hmm. much better luxury SUV. Those are Perfect. those are my two options. And it's too bad because, like I said, I, I think it looks good and it's comfortable. But I, I the entire week I was driving it, I kept trying to make it make sense, and I really couldn't. And and I really couldn't find an equivalent on the market. There's nothing else like this vehicle. Right. Yeah, I'm struggling to think of one as well. Um. I, what it I would like to see... How, what's that? so weird. It, it had a weird. third row of seats. My, my big suggestion to Toyota would be to take the six-speed that's in the GX and the GX interior and put them in the 4Runner before it's too late. I know they sell a quarter million 4Runners a year and they don't need my advice, but it is... I mean, we've talked in the past just about how unpleasant that drivetrain is when you're thrashing it like on the highway at highway speeds if you want to pass it's like suddenly there's a, a million angry bees under the hood and it's all and it's just it needs a sixth gear it really needs a sixth gear <laughs> um i don't know how much longer this car will 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 be around like i just oh, don't obviously forever because it's been here since 2009 <laughs> <laughs> it must be the same model since then it just it's must, got just another decade in it <laughs> it's got another decade in it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, cool. Um, we've got some other things you want to talk about this week, right? Um, sure. There's some news that I think is worth mentioning. There's a an upcoming Stinger, um, Kia Stinger. They're changing that a little bit. Well, they're doing something weird with it. Uh, they're adding – so as it is now, you can buy two versions of the Stinger. You mm-hmm. can buy a 2.5-liter turbo – sorry, a 2-liter turbo 4 mm-hmm. and a 3.3-liter turbo V6. And they're Great adding – I'm sorry? That's a great engine. Yes. And uh, they're adding a third option, Sammy. Are you ready for it? Oh, yeah. I'm ready for it. I think it's going to be the 5-liter V8 finally, right? No, it's actually – cut that in half. It's a 2.5-liter Turbo 4 what? that makes what? F- 40 more horsepower than the existing Turbo 4 and like 60 more pound-feet of torque. Okay. Well, if they're going to replace the 2-liter, that's that makes sense. That's no, fine. no, no, Sammy. You misunderstand me. <laughs> what? <laughs> they're not replacing anything. They're huh? just giving you an extra turbo four option. But why? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't understand. So now you have the choice between a 255 horsepower four-cylinder engine yeah. or a 300 horsepower 
okay. four-cylinder engine that probably costs a little bit more. Or the or 368 horsepower twin turbo V6. Now <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. This really Why? reminds we have we have to. I have a question for you. In terms of weird drivetrain decisions in 2020, mm-hmm. what's weirder, this or when Nissan put a new engine in the old Frontier <laughs> for one year? <laughs> yeah, this I think because there was. I don't think there was anything wrong with the two powertrains in the Stinger, right? Definitely not. Unless there's something super secretly wrong. Yeah. That they're like, but then you think they get rid of the two liter. That's true too. Right? That doesn't make any sense, Ben. What the no, heck? It's, it's very strange. And it, I it's also usually... don't. I have also heard that the Stinger is not selling particularly well. No, I'm sure it's not. No one's um, buying large cars. And I don't feel like this mid engine, this mid choice engine, it's not the jump start it needs. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to help it out. You're saying That's... maybe. A 2.9 liter V6 <laughs> that makes, oh, 310 horsepower would maybe, maybe yeah. split the difference. Yes, of course. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one that'll do it. Okay. That's so weird. So okay. that's that's our first bit of weird news. And then we have a second bit of weird news. So there's a company called Bollinger that we've talked about in the past. And that they, make the ugliest things on the in the world. They These kind of square, make an electric truck. <laughs> they, as far as we know, they don't make anything. But yes, they say they, yeah. They say they make an electric truck, and that truck was designed with a T square and, and an IKEA table for a console. That's true. It's a very it's a very plain Jane truck that costs like hundred grand. It's super expensive. It's electric. And uh, anyway, we're not saying this just to to crap on Bollinger. We're saying this because they made an announcement today. That they're going to come out with a delivery van, and it's going to be an electric delivery van. Perfect. They posted pictures of it, and it looks absolutely nothing like the pickup. Like, the pickup, to me, it was a statement. It was like, okay, it's it's fu- function over form. It's going to be all 90-degree angles, and that's the Bollinger identity. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. If that's what you're going to do and that's your company, I don't have to like it, but okay. So then they come out with this van that looks like... Some kind of futuristic, like if you were in the 90s and you were designing a futuristic van, this is what it would look like if you worked at UPS. And they're calling it the Deliver E because of course they are. But it's just so weird. It's like, what is Bollinger's identity now? Like they make a, a weird truck and a and a semi-futuristic van that's so low to the ground <laughs> that you probably can't drive it in the winter. Okay, and- so I haven't looked at it yet. Let me just Let me just prepare myself because as far as I know, Bollinger, as you said, Right angles. They've got exposed rivets. Um, really, really like not quite steampunk, but like it has an identity. Like Meccano. Yeah, like that, that metal version thing. of Lego. And this looks like the front of a of a bullet train or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, what, is, what happened here? There's nothing. It looks super. It looks like it was built by somebody at like Apple or something. There's smooth lines everywhere. There's none of that like uh, mechanical i like design identity that no. the other vehicles had. It, it was hilarious. Is they also offer a co- class three commercial truck that's electric, which is just their pickup truck with four doors and a flat bed, like a chassis oh, cab bed. So it's it's not like their commercial division has been given this different design schematic. Like the 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 chassis cab truck looks like somebody chopped a Land Rover Defender in half, and and like you said, used exposed rivets to fix everything that was chopped. So. Bollinger, we don't know what's up. Anyway, not a big deal. Not exactly our focus on the podcast, but, but I just thought that was strange. I do want to talk about, I think electric vans, especially delivery vans or moving vehicles, uh, not moving vehicles, transport vehicles, is going to be a pretty important um, change in the in the world 
Um, and if more people get an, if, if this becomes a, a standard going forward, hopefully they can combat um, the greenhouse gases and, and uh, climate change. But there already are, there is a, as far as I remember, there is a Nissan ENV 200 in some markets, which sure, is. And, and I think FedEx and and uh, UPS, I can't remember if it's both or one of them. They, they use alternative fuels anyway, like propane and compressed natural yeah. gas and stuff. So the the vehicles are out there. They're happening. Um, Bollinger's bizarre looking thing. I don't know if that's a real. I really don't think this is going to be real, man. How does it have so little ground clearance? I need that. I don't know. It's almost like a like a maglev van yeah. of some kind. Um, okay. So la- last thing I want to talk about this week. Uh, we had a, a listener, Timothy, get in touch with us this week asking about audiobooks and if there were any audiobooks about cars that we would recommend because we've been talking about books on the podcast quite a bit lately. So this is kind of a uh, a bit of a sticky issue. There's a bunch of cool car books out there, but not a lot of them have been given the audiobook treatment. There's books that I would recommend like Mark Donahue's The Unfair Advantage where he talks about racing in Can-Am and Trans-Am in the 70s. Or Car by Mary Walton, which is a walkthrough of what it was like to develop the second generation Ford Taurus, which was a total failure. And it's just fascinating stuff like that, which are really give you a behind the scenes look at both racing and the automotive industry. But in terms of books that are on audio that, that, that you can listen to while you're driving after, you, of course, you've listened to your episodes of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast, there's not a lot. But there is one that I want to recommend that um, I read in paper form earlier this year. It's called Engines of Change. And it's by a guy named Paul Ingracia, I-N-G-R-A-S-S-I-A. It came out in 2012. And the guy takes a look at the history of automotive culture in America. I have this book. Give me a minute. (laughs) Okay. So it's, it's, it's done in... I love this book, man. It's, I think, 15 chapters, and each of yeah. those chapters looks at a different car and how that car impacted car culture in the United States. So he starts with vehicles like the Model T, obviously, but inside there, there's stuff, the Pontiac GTO, the Chevy Corvair, the Honda Accord, the BMW 3 Series, the Jeep, uh, when it first came out, and um, even vehicles like the Prius. And just all yep. these vehicles had a huge, and the Beetle. They had huge impacts on American car culture, and it's worth a read. It's read uh, – sorry, it's worth a listen. So, Timothy, I would recommend this book as something that's going to give you – I know you wanted to kind of get these behind-the-scenes underdog-style stories, and there's a lot of that in there about cars, how they managed to make it to market, even though they might have had a lot of stuff working against them, sometimes even within their own company. And it's well worth a listen to hear those stories. So that, that would be my recommendation to you. Engines of Change by Paul Ingracia. I also like the book because it also talks about how important the marketing factor was to making some of these vehicles a success or that image that um, has been cultivated in in light of the vehicles. Yeah, um, especially with Volkswagen and the Beetle. There was a huge section about Beetle advertising and how wacky and off the wall and um, irreverent it was in the 60s and 70s and how different that was for American advertising culture at the time. And the different ways that the Prius made its, its example with that kind of uh, celebrity endorsement that it received at the time, too. Um I think that was a great. That's a great recommendation. I think that's great. I also want to mention that a, a reader has uh, reached out. I mean, sorry, a listener has reached out to me after last week's uh, conversation um, when you and I were talking uh, about the hawks, the hawk trim names. Hawk uh, Falcon. We also mentioned the Jeep Grand Cherokee Trackhawk. Yes. Um, and then some other fam- fast family oriented vehicles. And he wanted to point out. Um, let me get his uh, his Twitter account because that's where he reached out to me. Because you're going to out is... him to the world. 
Oh, yeah, that's, maybe I won't do that. Maybe I okay. won't be ready for that. Um, but <laughs> he did mention the the Volvo V60 Polestar might be um, up some people's alley of a performance-oriented uh, family vehicle, which yeah, I think is not bad. It has 416 horsepower. It's not far off of that Macan Turbo we were talking about earlier. So that's something um, that another car that we might have missed last week. Okay, so if you have uh, any other things that you think we might have missed... Uh, you can always get in touch with us. There's a bunch of ways you can do that. You can either go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and there's a form you can fill out there. And click uh, send and we get your message delivered directly to our inboxes. Or you can go on to social media as Sammy was just talking about. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter where you can find him at Sammy underscore ha. Whereas I am uh, ha, that's ha like you're laughing. Whereas <laughs> I am on Instagram where people are just generally nicer and want to look at cool pictures. You can find me at Hunting Benjamin. Very cool. Ben, what are you driving next week? Um, I am driving next week. I am. Ooh, that's a good question. It's the Uh-oh. BMW X5 M competition, Sammy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's a little bit different than the GX. Yeah, that is. Uh, I actually, as far as I know, I don't think I have a vehicle, uh, a new vehicle to talk about next week. But wow. uh, I'll definitely bring up one of my feature ideas with you and we'll, we'll chat about that. Um, I also want to take this opportunity to tell people that uh, from from me to you or from maybe from us if Ben agrees with this uh, I hope that everyone is staying safe and staying sane because uh, it's been a pretty difficult summer I think for a lot of people uh, between the pandemic and other things that are going on and uh, you know what we kind of encourage you guys to reach out to us if you're feeling a little lonely say something say you want someone to to talk to or chat with um, those those contact forms we're, we're on top of them man we follow through uh, and if you want someone to talk to we're right here to help you out All right, and uh, yeah, I I echo all of those sentiments. All right, take care, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, bye-bye. Bye.